Have you ever tried to explain a movie or a TV series to a friend? And, you know, like you struggle trying to find out what are the few lines that can really, you know, summarize this movie without giving it away. Because who are the people that you don't care if you know the plot before you see the movie? Like, who are you? Who are, you're so weird. I don't care. You are so weird. Um, you know, there's something about it. Like when someone goes, yeah, yeah, and then this and this and this, and then they give the whole plot. It's like when you see a trailer and you're like, what? Like, you just gave it all away. But it's amazing. You know, in the, in the 90s, there was a TV series that has never died. I mean, it keeps going on, on repeat. And now they're doing a reunion about some friends in New York City. And they summarize every episode just with one line. And it's just, it just says, the one with and then something. Tonight's message I've called the one with Jesus. The one with Jesus. If that's a bit too corny, because it's borderline corny. Uh, if it's a bit too corny, I've got another, message, another title for you. And it's called Christianity is dot, dot, dot. Have you ever tried to explain to someone, maybe if you are, uh, just started coming to church and you're still new to all of this, and you tried to explain to a friend you started going to church? You know, and then they, they, you know, the response is normally like, wait, like, like, are you a Christian now? Like, you know, like I've been introduced to, to people's friends, like, oh, this is my pastor. And then they kind of look at me, then they look at them, and they're like, Wait, are you a Christian now? And the answer is normally something like a non-committal, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then normally the response is something like this. You don't mean you're like one of those Christians. Now, I've never found out who those Christians are, but I don't want to know them or meet them because it never sounds nice. You know, are you a Christian now? Yeah. Well, I hope you're not like one of those those Christians. And I think the reason for this, this, this response is that we live in an interesting world. And that, you know, really we don't find our definitions and information about communities really from grounded research anymore. Really, what we do is that we take all the information we need to know about something, whatever community it is, whatever organization, business, whatever it is, we take it from a person that we have met along the way who claims to represent that community. It's like if someone says to you, oh, I'm a vegan. You know, you're not thinking about dieting plan and you're not thinking about what you can or cannot. No, we are all thinking about that crazy wannabe hippie that we met sometime <laughs> that was like yelling at you because you were eating some hamburger. And you're like, what? You know, and that's all you need to know about vegans. You know, if someone says to you, like, oh, I'm an influencer, you're not thinking about the potential of that. No, you're thinking about that poor boyfriend in Spain taking a billion photos of their girlfriend, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's what you do. You know, I wonder what you think when someone asks you, what is a Christian? What is Christianity? Because most likely you're thinking about some crazy person you once met. Some crazy person yelling on the street. Some, and it's always the extreme. It's never like, oh, I met someone really nice that said he was a Christian. It's always some extreme thing that we've seen late at night on television. Or, you know, it, it's someone that you went, once went to school with that was always wearing, like, Jesus clothes. Guilty. That was me. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, hat and connection represent, you know, I was wearing like the full on, you know, like I, I had a shirt on that said CK and so it, like everyone thought it was Calvin Klein. You got close and it said Christ is King with really tiny letters, <laughs> which is cool now, but it wasn't cool back then, you know, and, and I had one that said um, rock and roll. And then you go close and it says, uh, my life is on the rock and my name is on the roll. I mean, it's bad now, but back then it was horrible. You know, it's, you know, we always think about like the most crazy extreme example we have. And that becomes our definition of the community. I was once sitting on a plane next to this guy and, and um, you know, he found out I was a pasta. And I was like, yeah, I'm a pasta. And. And then, you know, like, it's something you just don't want to say it because you, you, you don't want the response, oh, God. <laughs> and that is, oh, I hate Jesus. I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, you're an idiot. Like, what? And he's like, I'm going to go, how can you hate Jesus? Like, that, that really jumped the nudge. That escalated really quickly. And he goes, no, no, I don't hate Jesus. I just hate Christians. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pretend not to be offended. Like, what, what, why? And he goes, because every Christian I've met and that's worked for me, has either lied to me or stolen from me. I'm like, fair enough, <laughs> you, know? you know. But that is where we get our definitions from. And, you know, I, I don't want to tell God how to do his job, but I think if we were to do a SWOT analysis on the marketing campaign of heaven, I really think the weakness and the potential threat of the marketing campaign, the PR campaign that heaven is doing, is that God has decided to express his love and grace through you and me. That's the issue. The issue is, I mean, George is not an issue in Malmö because <clears throat> George is near perfect. But the rest of us, you know, that God has decided to show his love and his grace expressed through broken people like you and me. Paul, Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure. That's the gospel of Jesus. We have this treasure, this, this knowledge about Jesus. We have it in jars of clay. Some version says in broken jars of clay. It's like we've taken this amazing treasure, and instead of putting it in, in gold goblets that would be amazing, God is like, I'm going to put them in broken jars of clay. <laughs> you and me, representative of you and me. And really our humanity, there is a danger that it taints the message. But what is the message? What does it mean to be a Christian? One of the, the, the big challenges in our society today is that we live in a world that's all about the clickbait and the soundbite. I mean, we have, our society has the attention span of a goldfish. And so some of you, I've already lost you. You're farming a village or attacking someone or <laughs> like, good luck with that. But, you know, we have an attention of a goldfish, and, you know, there used to be a time that if you wanted to know something about something, you would actually read a book. I know, crazy. <laughs> uh, or you would attend a lecture, or you would listen to someone speak and allow them to finish their sentences. But we don't live in that world anymore. Now it's all about the clickbait. Now it's all about the soundbite. Now it's all about that one line because really our sources of information have become more occupied with entertainment than information. So we disregard the truth as long as we can sell more papers and get more clicks. And so really, you know, now we are, the debates is no longer debates of words and argument. It becomes debate of volume. The loudest person win. The most aggressive person win. Whoever fills up the most space and can create the biggest splash wins the argument. 
And maybe, just perhaps, maybe, it would be good just to stop, reflect, pause, and think about it. And just think about, what does it even mean to be a Christian? Like, wouldn't that be a fair thing just to stop and think about? I mean, especially in a church, you know? In the book of Psalms, it says again and again, Selah. That's Hebrew, and it just means stop and think about this. And so tonight is our stop and think about it moment. It's our Selah moment where we're going to just think about what does it mean to be a Christian. The first thing I need to say tonight is that every person in this room is a theologian, and which is awesome, you know, because everyone here has a theology. Now, theology just means, it's just a Greek word, and theo means God, and logos means word or knowledge. So a theology is just what you know or what you have written or what your knowledge is about God. That's your theology. Even if you don't believe that there is a God, that is still your theology. That, that's what you think about God. So what is our theology when it comes to being a Christian? I think the, the, the first thing we have to realize is that there are different, oh, different colors tonight. There are different categories. Sorry, I got very excited about that. You know, there's different categories when it comes to theology. We have what we call dogmas. Now, a dogma is, you know, these are essential theology. Dogmas don't change. It is what is required for salvation, okay? This is, you know, this is the, the core of what we believe. Then we have what we call doctrine. Now, doctrine is also what we believe, but they're not as essential as dogmas. Now, doctrines can change. For example, in church history, there used to be a time, I'm emphasizing used to, in the past, there used to be a time where women couldn't preach. Women couldn't be in leadership position. And then, you know, churches back in the day was like, wait a minute, is that really what the Bible says? I mean, weren't the first two preachers in the Bible that Jesus commissioned, weren't they women? Didn't Jesus meet a woman, like a Samaritan woman at the well, and then send her to preach to her city? Didn't Paul, you know, encourage the business women to actually continue in what they were doing? And suddenly you see throughout all of the Bible, women in prevalent places actually being, so that doctrine was changed. And so you have dogmas, you have doctrines, and then you have disciplines. Disciplines, it's basically just how do we live this out? The do's and the don'ts. What are the things that we do? What are the things that we don't do? And, you know, what, what we then have is in all of this, oh, I'm getting confused with all these colors. Who here, like when you look at a food menu, you just want like two options. That, that's me. I just want two or three options max or, or just a set menu. I mean, when they go, oh, we have all these options. You know, there is a danger because there's no way you can be good at that many dishes. You get what I'm saying? It's like, just keep it simple. But, you know, when it comes to doctrines and disciplines, when it comes to what it means to be a church, so this is Hillsong Church, what it means to be part of this community is that there are certain disciplines and doctrines that we agree on. And that is what calls us a church, that we agree on something, that there's something that we agree on. But what you've got to realize is that down the road, there might be another Christian church, and they believe the same things about the essential stuff, but maybe they have a different doctrine about other stuff. For example, 
there might be a church down the road that don't believe that women should be able to preach, that don't believe that women should be in leadership. Now, this is the challenge. For too long, when someone, whether you are Christian or you are new to faith or you're just, you know, trying to figure out what all of this is about, this is a challenge, is that when someone has a problem with, let's say, something we believe that they don't agree with or something that we like, you know, maybe it's not so smart to do that or don't do that. You know, when we have a problem with some of this, right, the challenge in the past is that normally what people, they do, they go, that's it. I don't want to be a Christian then. And they throw everything out. That is you throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That is not, you are, you are right now, you are, you're kicking, you're rejecting an idea, a doctrine, and a discipline. But really, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be rejecting the essential. And what I want to encourage you to do, and it's a little bit hard to say this as, as a local pastor of a local church, but, but I'll say this because I totally believe in this. And that is, if you are in our church, and you're listening, and you're hearing, and you're like, hmm, they believe this, you know. Like, for, let's say women in leadership, you know. If you're here, and, and I know this would not be the case. You know, if you're here, and you're like, women in leadership, I don't believe in that. Okay, I'm, you're probably going to have a problem in our church. <laughs> there might be a tension in our church, because that's something we actually wholeheartedly believe. We empower women, we believe in women, we, 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 we give women opportunity on equal level as men. You know, that, that's something we believe, that we are created in the image of God, male and female. We believe in that. And so if you have a different doctrine than that, you really have two options. You can either go, how important is this doctrine? Is that something I really should be fighting for? Or is it like, well, that's not really essential, so I'm okay with that. And if you're not okay with it, which I don't think you would be in our church if, when it comes to women in leadership, because that's a, it, it takes up a lot of space. If you don't agree with that, the best thing you could do is not to reject Christianity, but is to find a community that actually has the same doctrine, as a Christian community, but that has the same doctrine as what you believe in. What I wanna want you to see tonight, church, though, is that there is more that is tying us together than pulling us apart. It is so easy to get distracted by doctrines. It's so easy to get distracted by the disciplines that we lose sight of the essential. That we don't keep the main thing the main thing. And there are more things that are holding us together than there, are, there is tearing us apart. And sometimes I will get asked by someone, you know, Hey, couldn't you from the platform, whether it's my social media or here on stage or wherever, an interview, can't you just make a statement? What Hillsong is, you know, what, what's our beliefs and what's our, you know, do's and don'ts? What am I not allowed to do and what am I allowed to do? And the reason that people say that is because people think that Christianity is a list of rules and a list of beliefs. That it's like, well, you're a Christian now. That means that you cannot do this, this, and this, and this. You have to do this, this, and this. And you have to believe these things. Otherwise, you're not a Christian. And tonight, I'm just here to remind us, Christianity is not a list of rules. Christianity is not even a list of doctrines. Christianity is a person. And his name is Jesus. That's Christianity. Christianity is about the person of Jesus 
Christ. And that's why my job as a pastor, it is not to stand up here and make you feel guilty about your life. It's not my job up here to be trying to convict you. The Bible is very clear. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to point people to Jesus. I had someone once ask me, like, well, how come, how come, you know, Hillsong, you're so focused on Jesus? Why not just talk about God? Why is it only about Jesus? It seems like it's very narrow. And, you know, there's a reason for that. Because it is very simple. When it comes to our dogma and when it comes to what the essential faith of what we believe, I'm going to take you through it. Is that okay? Are you still with me? Yeah, I haven't lost anyone because we still got a little while to go. And it would suck if you, like, you already lost now. Now, if you haven't gone to Sunday school, okay, some of us grew up in Sunday school with little flannel Jesus. Now, if you have not gone to Sunday school, it's okay. I'm about to, you know, help you catch up on 20 years of curriculum, okay? Is that okay? Because it hasn't changed. It has not changed. And if you have gone to Sunday school, you're about to get a refreshment course. Really, 9 out of 10 sermons in Sunday school, their, their teacher will draw this picture. They will draw this one. Do you know where I'm going with this? Some of you do, okay? On this side, we have humanity, this person here represents humanity, and this person is sad because this person has made mistakes, and we all have made those mistakes. You know, every single person in this room has made mistakes. You know, we all know that. If I was to say, hey, let's play your, your life up on the big screen, I mean, at some point, some of us would go, all right, you can stop it now. There might be a few brave souls that says, no, no, I'm good. It's like, all right, now let's play the audio track of your mind. It's like, okay, I'm good, you know, because we've all made mistakes. Now, we call them mistakes. The Bible calls it sin. Now, don't be like, ah, you know, that's a crazy word, sin. Ah, it's so heavy. Sin, literally, it just means to miss the mark, okay? So it's like you, you, you're shooting a bow and arrow, and you don't hit the bullseye. You have missed the mark. That's, that's all it is. You know, it's that God has a perfect design. God has a, when God created you, he, he had, a, had a plan in mind. And, and, and all of us have like, nah, I know better than God. I was like, oh, okay, good luck with that. And so that, that separated us from God. And that's why we're sad, as you can see. And so we have God over here on this side. Now, normally in like theology symbol drawings, normally you draw God with a triangle. But in this social media-driven world, I don't want to be accused of believing in Illuminati. Um, so I'm just going to call God the OG, okay? He's the original God, okay? Is that okay? So he's over there. And you can see we can't get to him. We try with good deeds, but we fail. We try with good intentions, but we fail. But then comes the hero. And the hero is... That's right. If you've gone to Sunday school, you know nine out of ten questions, the answer is always Jesus. Okay? You guys are doing so well. Uh, the Sunday school I went to, we got gold stars on the way out, like little stickers. Okay? Never got one. So Jesus bridges the gap. Jesus comes down and bridges the gap between humanity and God. And I, and I know I'm making light of something because it, it, we, we talk, we're doing a big carb loading tonight. But everything, really, when it comes to Christianity, comes down to this one question. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Who do you actually believe Jesus is? The talk show host Larry King, he was once asked, if you could interview anyone in history, who would it be? And he said, I would interview Jesus' mother, Mary. And I would ask about whether Jesus was truly a virgin birth. Because the answer to that question, all of history hinges on it. Why? Because who you say Jesus is changes everything. When Jesus came to earth, he came to establish his true identity. I mean, what does he say in Matthew 16, 13? He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is Jesus. He's talking about himself in third person. He's totally boss. Jesus, gets, Jesus says, who do people say I am? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Why is this important? Because who you say Jesus is determines how you read his words and how much weight you give them. It's like if you're a parent, you understand this. You know when your kids come back from school and they've done something stupid? No one. Not one parent, okay? You lie in church, okay? You know when your kids come back from school and they've done something stupid, yeah? Okay, five of you. That's great. Okay, I feel like a horrible parent right now. And then you go, why did you do it? And they're like, oh, Johnny told me to. I'm like, who the heck is Johnny? Like, well, like why are you listening to Johnny, you know? And it's like, and it's like, but we told you as parents that you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. It's like, yeah, but Johnny told me I shouldn't. And it's like, and then you got to tell him, like, listen, when mommy and daddy speak, our words, they weigh a little bit heavier than Johnny. So next time Johnny tells you to do something, you can say, well, Johnny, be good. You know, like I have, I need to listen to a, something that is heavier, and that's the words of my parents. Who you say Jesus is determines how you read the Bible. Because either this Bible is just fluffy words, either this Bible is just a history book, or this Bible is the written word from God to you. Now it gets a bit of weight. Now it gets a little bit of value in our lives. In Luke chapter 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. It's like, calm down, Jesus. Just take the compliment. <laughs> Why is he flipping out? No, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 wait, wait, you're calling me good, but only God is good. Are you calling me God? In that case, I'm about to answer you. Will you take my words as coming from God? Because how you see Jesus determines the value you place on his words. You see, if Jesus was just a teacher, you know, people say, oh, Jesus was a good guy. If Jesus was just a good guy that lived at some point in life, well, then everything he said can kind of be like regarded and disregarded at will. It's like, nah, I like that. I don't really like that. And it's okay because if he was just a teacher, it's like, well, who cares? But maybe it goes a bit deeper. Jesus said to one person questioning him on salvation, he said, in Luke 10, 26, he says, what's written in the Bible, in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And I think this is so important because it can be so, it can see, be so easy to go, well, you know, you know, we just believe whatever church believes. But no, at the end of the day, you are going to be held responsible for what you believe. 
you're going to stand before God and you're going to be held responsible for what you believe. And so it's like, well, what do we believe about this? Or what do we believe about that? Well, you've got a Bible. Read it. And then see what it says and then go and live accordingly. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, the great author, he said this in Mere Christianity. This is a great quote, by the way. Um, he says, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one of the things that we must not say. A man who was merely a man said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Yeah, we've all met that guy, Johnny. <laughs> or else he would be the devil of hell. All right, Sears, calm down. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Summarizing, C.S. Lewis here is saying Jesus was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. But he was not just a good guy who lived at some point and said some good things. Now, we don't like this because if I admit that Jesus is God, okay, if I admit that he was more than a great teacher, if I admit that all of human history took a turn because of this one carpenter who lived in the backside of an unknown region in the Middle East, if I admit that, that also means I have to take a stand and to make a decision about everything he said. And we don't like that because some of it is really confronting. You know, it's like last week, someone, we had someone here that spoke about what does the Bible say about money, which is you know, I think it's a good topic because we spend so much time earning it. It's actually good to get some wisdom about it. And I had some people come up to me and say, you know, I don't believe what he's saying. I'm like, come on. That's not the problem. You just don't like what he's saying. Big difference. It's like, you know, Jesus says, if someone hurts you, you need to forgive them. They're like, say what? No, I want to punch them, you know. <laughs> I don't forgive them. And it's like, you know, and so it's not that we don't like, you know, it's not that we don't believe it. It's just that we don't, we don't like it. But that's the issue is that I, if I have a problem with something that he said, then I can go, forgive. It's like, I don't want to do that. Oh, okay, well, then we've got to stop now. And we've got to ask the question again. Who do you say Jesus is? Yeah, he, he, he's God. Okay, and he said, forgive someone. Yeah. Okay, now make a decision. Because either you're going to say, I'm just going to reject that and I'm going to trust myself and probably end up like sad man up here. <laughs> or I'm going to trust that maybe God has a better plan for how we do our relationships. I mean, we must ask ourselves, who does Jesus say that he is? And this is where the journey begins. And this is where it gets really exciting. Because what God then does is that he, he starts a transformation on the inside. Can I draw one more thing? Before we wrap this up, are we still, are we still with us? Yeah. You see, every single one of us, we have a spirit inside of us, yeah? We have a spirit, and then we have 
a, I know I have to draw graphics. You've been telling me all day I have to draw bigger and whatever. There's no room. Uh, then we have a soul. I could feel your words coming at me. And then we have a soul. And then we have a body, right? This is what happens, though, unfortunately, is that we come into a place like this and, you know, maybe we feel lonely. Maybe it's like we look around and go, oh, this is an awesome community. Like, this is a cool place to be. Great friends. Want to hang out here. What do we do is that we want to we wanna belong. And so we think that what I have to do is that I have to start to behave different in order to belong. And so we start changing on the outside in. We start changing ourselves because we think I have to, I have to behave in a certain way in order to belong. And I have to say, Christians, the reason why people think like that is our fault. Because for too long, we have said in our churches, and maybe not from the platform, but unfortunately some platforms as well, that, oh, if you're going to belong to this church, you can't look like this, you can't dress like this, you can't talk like that, you can't live like this. And we have ostracized and isolated and excluded people from ever belonging unless they look like us, behave like us, and sounded like us. So people, they have, they, we, we, we create this change where we like, monkey see, monkey does, we conform, and we look around and we go, oh, everyone's lifting their hands, okay, I'll lift my hands. People are saying, amen, amen, is that, is that right? You know, and we, we do all the right stuff, show up to all the right events, and everything looks the part, just so that I can change and conform to this community. The problem is that any change that happens from the outside in will not last. It's like the forced diet, <laughs> you know? It's like the forced exercise routine. It's the, it's the outside in. It's that you don't really believe it on the inside. And because you change, because you conform, guess what? Next time you're in a different community, you're gonna conform again. Now you're going to go back to this way or you're going to go to that way and you're going to constantly be the chameleon that changes in order to belong. And that's why we have people that will say, oh, I can't be a Christian. It's like, why? It's so hard. And it's like, it's not hard being a Christian. It's impossible. That's the good news. It's like, okay, this church is weird. <laughs> no, but listen, that is the whole point. What Jesus, he asks us of, of, of us as humans is crazy. Love your enemies? No way. You know, forgive those who hurt you? Catch ya. You know, that stuff, that's impossible. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus. We go back to the essential, and he changes us from the inside out. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 12. Go to verse 13, because it is God who works it in you in order for you to will and to do. The problem is religion is this. Religion is when you're trying to work something out that God never worked in. That is behavior modification through information. But really what we are believing for, where is it? Here, is heart transformation 
through revelation is that there is a change that takes place on the inside and suddenly we change the way we think, we change the way we believe, we change our value system. There's things that are going on on the inside, but it's not something I'm striving to do. It's not something I'm like really trying to work hard at doing. No, I give space for His grace and allow God to work it in me so that I can work it out. Which is why as a preacher, I'm up here just going, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Just pursue Jesus. Every song we sing is about Jesus. Everything we do, it's about Jesus. Why? Because He works it in us. And what's cool is that as you start this journey with Jesus and the team, you can come and join me. That's not what's cool about the journey, but you get a team that joins you, you know. You just have an eternal soundtrack. No. What's cool is that as you walk this out, suddenly you will start to notice things. You will notice some of the things you didn't like doing, you suddenly like doing. And some of the things that you thought that I'll never do that, that suddenly you start to, why? Because there's a change. You're getting a healthier perspective. You're getting a healthier look at things. You know, it's amazing how someone will make fun of their friends and go, I cannot believe you go to church every week. You're such a loser. And like six months later, it's like, oh, I'm in church again. What well, does it change? It's like you laugh at your friends who are sitting there reading their Bibles, you know, in, in break in, your, in the school class. And you're like, look at that guy. He's reading his Bible. And then like six months later, you're posting scriptures and you're like putting, you're making it look cool and stuff. And, and you're putting it out there. What, there's a change. You're saying, I'll be a Christian, but I'm not giving up on this. Cool. Like, like whatever. Just, just keep focusing on Jesus. And then six months, nine months go by and you're like, you know what? Maybe you know, the way I do my relationships or maybe the way I live life, maybe there was something I should change because maybe it's not the healthiest way, the way I live. Maybe there's a better way. Perhaps, yeah. Why? Because there's a change that happens from the inside out. We're not doing that. We're not forcing this. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, here's, a what, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. That sentence is so important. If you want to look for a definition of grace, it's that, God helping you. We say things like, whatever you're called to do, you're grace to do it. God helping you. God helping you. I believe that if you, I mean, that's, that's our mission as a church. We want to see you become the best version of you possible. If you're a business person, be the best business person there is. If you are a, an athlete, be the best athlete there is. If you are a DJ, be the best DJ there is. If you are a student, be the best student there is. Whatever you are, be the best version of you. Grace, God helping you. God helping you. This is what I want you to do. God helping you. When, how do I do this? God helping me. That's what grace is. This is what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That goes for church communities as well. Don't just belong and you haven't even thought about, it. hey, what do I even believe? Don't just fit in. Actually make a choice. Instead, fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, constantly dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. As we focus our lives on Jesus, not on rules, not on regulations, not even on doctrines, 
we focus on Jesus. There is a change that happens on the inside out. And what happens is that you move from options to a transformation. You move from conforming to being transformed. You move from just making a choice from the outside in to actually making some convictions. Now, convictions is when you believe something on the inside and it comes out. A conviction is when you choose when you're strong who you want to be when you're weak. Conviction is choosing Sunday night who you're going to be Friday night. Yeah? A conviction, a conviction is when you remove the price tag. You see, Jesus said a, a, a kingdom divided against itself, it will not stand. I think one of the big issues that we have is that we're leaving our options open. You know that feeling? You're talking to someone and you're like, what are you doing tonight? What, what should we do? And they're not looking at you. They're looking over your shoulder. You, you get that feeling? And then it's like they're looking for other options. Are there better options? Is there something better? Is there something else happening? Is there a better party? Is there better? Whatever it is, we're looking at other options. We are, we're always leaving our options open. And the only thing you've done is that when the price tag is up, that means you're still for sale. You see, conviction removes tension because conviction removes negotiation. Conviction removes tension because conviction removes negotiation. There is a reason why people, they jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because the price tag is still on. There is constantly this, there's constantly this trade going on. I'll give you this if you give me this. I'll give you this if you give me this. If you give me this feeling, I'll give you this feeling. There is constantly a trade going on. If you can remove the price tag and go, I am loved the way I am. I am valuable the way I am. There is a God in heaven who loves me. There is a God in heaven who thinks that I'm wonderful. There is a God in heaven who knows that I'm not an accident. I'm not a mistake. I'm not just a face in the crowd. I'm not just what I look. I'm not just what I've done or haven't done. No, I am loved by Him. Then I can remove every price tag and there is no longer a negotiation. That tension that's constantly there. Choose to make some convictions. If every Sunday is a negotiation, if you're arguing with your wife every Sunday, should we go to church today? That's tension that you don't need, man. Like, remove it. If, if, if finances, if that's something that there's constantly tension around, have some convictions about it. Every single area of life, choose to make some convictions. It's not about creating rules and it's just about saying, this is what I believe and this is what I want to do with my life and have some convictions. First Peter 2.11, the apostle Peter said, friends, this world is not your home. Don't make yourself so cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego, your body, at the expense of your soul. Meaning what Peter is saying is, don't give in to a short-term pleasure at the expense of your long-term longings of your heart. It's like, oh, it's just, it's just a night. It's just a moment. It's just a shortcut. It's just whatever. You give in to a moment, but really, what's the price you're paying at the expense of your soul? Make a decision. Make a decision and create a conviction that you don't have to put anything on to belong here. Listen to me. You belong here. Listen to me. You belong here. 
You don't have to behave in a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to talk in a certain way. I'm telling you, you belong here. You're home. Welcome home. You belong here. This is home. You can, you can belong here. You're not just a face in the crowd. You are here. Jesus loves you with an unconditional love. Do you know what that means? That means there is nothing you can do that makes Him love you more. For those of you that have been Christian your whole life, that might be hard to hear. It's like, ah, He loves me a little bit more than that person. <laughs> nope. There's nothing you can do that makes Jesus love you more. And listen, there is nothing that you can do that makes Him love you less. Nothing. He just loves you. He just thinks you're the best. The Bible says He's written your name in the palm of His hand. It's kind of cool. It's like, oh, it's a big hand. You know, He loves you. He loves you so much. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, Because God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That's our dogma. That's what we believe. 